these little girls back here would bite two each from their virtual class, we could fill them two middle rows up. And the little one on the front. Oh yeah, I don't think you're out of it. We have been plugging along through a series on life after death. Today we're going to talk about uh, the question of whether or not we're going to know people after we make it to the other side. Our studies in life after death so far have endeavored to show that, first off, such a study is profitable. There's a point in actually taking the time to study it. Death should be thought of as a positive thing for Christians. We shouldn't fear death. We shouldn't be worried about death. We should know where we're going and we should be okay with that. Death should be thought of as a positive for Christians. The nature of man is twofold. We have both a body and a soul. The departed spirits of believers go to be with Christ at death. The souls of the redeemed are in conscious state during the intermediate state. We're not taking a millennial nap or however long the time frame may be. The question we're going to focus on in this lesson pertains to the idea of recognition after death. Shall we know each other after we die? One may agree with all that has been said so far and yet believe that we shall not know one another, either in the intermediate state or the final state. The question we always have is what does the Bible say about the subject? So we're going to start by observing scriptures which suggest that people do actually recognize each other after death. Isaiah 14, 3 through 4 says that it, can, it shall come to pass in the day of, that the Lord shall give thee rest from thy sorrow and from thy fear and from the hard bondage wherein thou wast made to serve, that thou shalt take up this proverb against the king of Babylon and say, How hath the oppressor ceased, the golden city ceased? Verses 9 through 11 says, Hell from beneath is moved for thee. To meet thee at thy coming, it stirreth up the dead for thee. Even all the chief ones of the earth it hath raised up from their thrones, all the kings of the nations. All they shall speak and say unto thee, Art thou also become weak as we? Art thou become like unto us? Thy pomp is brought down to the grave, and the noise of thy vials, the worm, is spread under thee, and the worms cover thee. And verse 16 says, They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble, that did shake kingdoms? This is a passage of scripture referring to the king of Babylon, who is recognized by those who are in Hades upon his death. He's being told in prophecy that when he gets there, they're going to know who he is. Ezekiel 32, 17 through 32 and it came to pass also in the twelfth year, and the fifteenth day of the month, that the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, wail for the multitude of Egypt, and cast them down, even her and the daughters of the, of the famous nations, un, unto the nether parts of the earth, with them that go, that go down into the pit. Whom dost thou pass in beauty? Go down, and be thou laid up with the uncircumcised. They shall fall in the midst of them that are slain by the sword. She is devoured to the sword. Draw her and all her multitudes. The strong among the mighty shall speak to him out of the midst of hell with them that help him. 
They are gone down, they lie uncircumcised, slain by the sword. Asher is there, and all her company. His graves are about him, all of them slain, fallen by the sword, whose graves are set in the sides of the pit, and her company is round about her grave, all of them slain, fallen by the sword, which caused terror in the land of the living. There is Elam and all of her multitudes round about her grave, all of them slain, fallen by the sword, which are gone down uncircumcised into the nether parts of the earth, which caused their terror in the land of the living, yet they have borne their shame with them that go down to the pit. They have set her a bed in the midst of the slain, with all her multitude, her graves are round about them, all of them uncircumcised, slain by the sword. Though their terror was caused in the land of the living, yet... Have they borne their shame with them that go down to the pit? He is put in the midst of them that be slain. There is Meshech, Tubal, and all her multitude. Her graves are round about him, all of them uncircumcised, slain by the sword. Though they cause their terror in the land of the living, and they shall not lie with the mighty that are fallen of the uncircumcised, which are gone down to hell with their weapons of war, and they have laid their swords under their heads, but their iniquities shall be upon their bones. Though they are the terror of the mighty and the land of the living, yea, thou shalt be broken in the midst of the uncircumcised, and shalt lie with them that are slain with the sword. There is Edom, her kings and her princes, which with their might are laid by them that were slain by the sword. They shall lie with the uncircumcised, and with them that go down to the pit, there shall be the princes of the of the north, and all, and of the, all of them, and of the Zidonians, which are gone down with their slain with the terror, they are ashamed of their might, and they lie uncircumcised with them that be slain by the sword, and bear their shame with them that go down to the pit. Pharaoh shall see them, and shall be comforted over all his multitude. Even Pharaoh, on all of his army slain by the sword, saith the Lord. For I have caused my terror in the land of the living, and he shall be laid in the midst of the uncircumcised with them that are slain with the sword, even Pharaoh, and all his multitudes, saith the Lord. This passage that we read speaks of Pharaoh and his army, who, will who is recognized by others in Hades, in verse 21, and who in turn recognizes those of Assyria, Elam, uh, Edom, and, and others, in verses 23, 22 through 31. We have a New Testament section, of course, Luke 16, 19 through 31. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate, full of sores, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell off the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died, and was carried by the angels unto Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried, and in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and seeth afar off, Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And said, Lazarus, that he might dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented, and besides all this, betwixt us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, 
so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldst send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify to them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent, and he said unto them, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded enough, though one rose from the dead. Which is funny that that was what was said, because not that long after that, one did rise from the dead, and they still didn't believe him. This particular story is the familiar story of Lazarus and the rich man, which I'm sure pretty much all of us know. And in this story, the rich man sees Lazarus and Abraham, and he recognizes who they are. 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20 says, What is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For ye are our glory and joy. That goes with 2 Corinthians 4, 14. Knowing that, which, that he which raised up Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. Both of these passages reveal Paul's expectation of being with his coverts at Christ's coming. He's talking about meeting them there, basically. Well, what would that point of that be if they weren't going to know who each other were? Recognizing them, he said, would be a source of great joy for himself. Matthew 8, 11, and 12. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This reference is made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, the recognition of which would increase the joys of those present, and the dismay of those who were cast into outer darkness. These examples could also include Samuel, who after his death was recognized by Saul in 1 Samuel 28, and Moses and Elijah, recognized in the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17. All clearly indicate that we will indeed know one another after death, but what are some objections commonly made to this view, and how would the Bible answer such objections? Objection number one that we're going to consider says that some of these passages speak of conditions after the resurrection. At that time we will have bodies of which recognition may be possible. But what does that prove? But, but that does not prove that disembodied souls in heaven now recognize each other. Most of these passages definitely speak of the intermediate state, those referring to the king of Babylon and Pharaoh and his army, the rich man of Lazarus, Samuel, Elijah, Moses. Angels have no bodies, and yet they recognize one each other. Look at Daniel 13. It says, But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me... One in twenty days, but lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. There's no body for the angel, but when the one angel saw Michael, he knew it was Michael. Objection two is if we can actually recognize one another, then we can miss those who do not make it. And this would cause unhappiness in heaven. Well, what about Jesus? Would you think that Jesus wouldn't miss even just one of his lost sheep that he went to the cross for when they chose not to 
accept their salvation. As in the case of the rich young ruler in Mark twenty and Mark ten twenty one, Jesus beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. Come and take up the cross and follow me. If you're familiar with the story, this guy didn't want to do that. He didn't want to give up his money. And I would doubt very much that Jesus would be like, eh, he didn't make it. I'm pretty sure Jesus is going to miss each and every person who should have been redeemed who chose to ignore what they had in front of them. Would one then say that Jesus is unhappy because he's missing all the people who didn't get to heaven? Perhaps the answer to this question lies in the, dire in the following direction. That when we die, all earthly ties that were not in Christ, including family ties, will lose their meaning. We'll still know who each other are, but a brother, sister, and uncle, mom, dad will be no different than a brother or sister in Christ. Christ is what is going to matter. Matthew 12, 46-50 says, While he yet talked to the people, behold, his mother and his brethren stood without, desiring to speak with him. Then one said unto him, Behold, thy mother and my brethren stand without, desiring to speak with thee. But he answered and said unto them, Unto him that told him, Who is my mother and who are my brethren? And, with it, and he stretched forth his hands toward his disciples and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren. For whosoever shall do the will of my Father, which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister and mother. The very attitude of Jesus about family was that Christians were the family. Period. End of story. Look at Matthew 10, 37. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. These would seem to point in a direction here. Our spiritual family becomes our true family as it was with Jesus. Our love for Jesus will far surpass any love we have for anyone else. Or does God not actually have the power to take away death, sorrow, pain, crying, fear? And does he not also have the power to remove any unpleasant awareness of loved ones lost while still permitting blessings, blessed awareness of loved ones saved? Revelation 7.17 says, The Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them into the living fountains of waters, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Revelation 7 verse 4, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, nor neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. No matter what situation our other relationships are in when we get to heaven, just those two verses alone, not to mention all the other ones we've talked about. God's saying he's going to make sure everything's okay, and that we're fine, and that we're not sad. Objection 3. So according to Matthew 22, 23-30, all earthly ties will lose their meaning. This is a part where they're talking about not being married or given in marriage. And so based on that, any recognition of those who we have known on earth would be meaningless. Well, these passages simply teach that there will be no marriage relationships in the resurrection. It doesn't say you won't know people, it just says you won't be married. Because you, the needs that we have on this earth and the connections we have on this earth are going to be nothing compared to our relationship with Christ. In this sense, we will be like the angels in heaven. This doesn't say that all relationships will be abolished. These couple verses just said that it didn't matter which one of the brothers she met up with in heaven because marriage wasn't going to matter there. 
There is good reason, therefore, to believe that we shall, in fact, know each other in the next life. And that can serve as a powerful motive to live our lives pleasing in the sight of God. To try to take those we love with us by encouraging them to live likewise, trying to bring anybody we can to Christ so we can all be together in the end. And in the study to follow this one, we're going to talk about the state of the wicked in the intermediate state. But we should be able to take comfort, like I said, in the fact that when we get to heaven and we see somebody we knew from earth that's in heaven, we should know who they are and we should be able to rejoice in the fact that they have made it. And even more so in the fact that we're all with Christ. Whenever we're together as a family, we have an invitation. If you have not become a Christian and you realize that you're a sinner, you shouldn't let yourself die in those sins. You'll end up in hell. So the invitation will be open to you at this time if you realize the terrible state that you're in and you're ready to correct that. The invitation is also open for anybody in the family who needs the family for anything. That invitation is open to us now if we don't want to wait for another time while we all stand and sing. <laughs>